Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Ooh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Today's episode begins with the story of a mother and a daughter. Claudine Blanchard, better known as Dee Dee, was raising her daughter Gypsy on her own in Springfield, Missouri. Life wasn't easy for Gypsy. In fact, it was anything but. What illnesses did you believe you had? Cancer, muscular dystrophy. I needed glasses. I needed hearing aids. Seizure disorder. And I can't remember what else. Gypsy's early life was characterized by medical procedures. She underwent dozens of surgeries, had a feeding tube inserted, her head was shaven, and her teeth were periodically pulled out. Gypsy had been confined to a wheelchair since she was eight years old. She lived with her mother in a small pink bungalow built for them by Habitat for Humanity, a nonprofit organization that helps families build and improve places to call home. It was equipped with a wheelchair ramp in the front and a jacuzzi bathtub inside. Dee Dee, originally from Louisiana, was outgoing with a loud personality. She was 48 years old and often dressed in bright colors with ribbons in her hair. She was a staple in her community as a single mother taking care of her special needs child. She told people that her daughter was quiet and was unable to walk. I always knew that I didn't need the wheelchair. How did you know that? Because I could walk. To the outside world, Gypsy appeared to be a young girl with severe health issues and her mother, a caring, loving, and devoted mom who would do anything for her child. Dee Dee would carry an oxygen tank and medicine around for her daughter. She homeschooled Gypsy and said she needed constant medical care. But as she grew older, Gypsy began to question her situation and the decisions her mother had made for her. I started to piece things together when I was about 19 years old. When medical tests were inconclusive, when they yielded results contrary to Dee Dee's own diagnoses of her daughter, or when a doctor questioned Dee Dee's claims of Gypsy's problems, she would leave them. When family members observed that Gypsy could walk without the wheelchair and inquired about its necessity, Dee Dee would move away. But why? Why would Dee Dee go to all of this trouble, cut ties with loved ones, ruin her daughter's life, just to say she was sick? Gypsy's mother kept her in this condition for charity, sympathy, attention, money, for a number of reasons. Gypsy knew her mother controlled every aspect of her life, holding her captive in a wheelchair. She would later say she felt imprisoned both literally and psychologically. So one day in the spring of 2011, when she was 19 years old, Gypsy decided she had had enough. She decided to run away. It was in the middle of the night, and I packed a small bag of stuff, 
and my mother was asleep. So I left the house and I met up with one of my friends. Where did you go? To um, first at Mercy Hospital in Springfield and then to his house. And at some point, did your mom figure out where you were? Yes, sir. When was that? Four hours later. What happened when your mother figured out where you were? She took me back home. She smashed my computer and my cell phone. She chained me to a bed for two weeks. Gypsy had tried to escape, but that didn't work. She said her mother beat her and starved her. But her mother was seen as a loving figure in the news stories that highlighted Gypsy's medical illnesses. People had given them financial support, and charities had come to their aid. Legal documents said Gypsy was incompetent, so she worried that if she came forward, her mother would just say she was making things up. Gypsy knew her mother was charming and convincing. She said in her mind, she didn't stand a chance against her. I didn't think that anyone would believe me. I thought they would eventually tell my mom and that would make my home life even worse for me. I feared her more than I feared anyone else. Dee Dee made Gypsy's life miserable, unlivable. It seemed as though Gypsy would never be able to escape and that Dee Dee was untouchable until she wasn't. What did the Facebook post say? If you can recall exactly or close to it. One day, a concerned neighbor asked the police to check on the Blanchard's house. When they arrived, police found Dee Dee Blanchard dead in her room, her nightgown and carpet soaked with blood. She had 17 stab wounds in her body. Gypsy was nowhere to be found. Today's case involves the unbelievable story of a mother who pretended her daughter was sick and received a lot of money from well-intentioned people and charities who wanted to help. A daughter who was forced to undergo medical procedures, even though she didn't need them, and who as a result was desperate to escape into a normal life. And a man who said he was in love with that daughter, willing to do everything he could to help. But was there even more to this story? In today's episode, I'm going to cover the trial of Nick Godijan. This is Jillian, and you are listening to Court Junkie, episode 120. The date was June 14th, 2015. A Facebook post was posted to Gypsy and Dee Dee's joint account. The post was captioned, that bitch is dead, with an exclamation mark. When family members and friends began to leave concerned comments on the post, the person in possession of the account posted a comment that said, I fucking slashed that fat pig and raped her sweet, innocent daughter. Her scream was so fucking loud, lol. Those in Dee Dee and Gypsy's lives became worried. Was the post and corresponding comment a prank? Had their account been hacked? Or was it something more serious? Dee Dee wasn't answering their phone calls, but her car was still in the driveway. Her neighbors then called the local police station. Uh, it came out as a check of well-being uh, for, the, for two residents in that, two individuals in that residence. 
And was there something about in the, in the notes, in the dispatch notes, about why you were going there to check the well-being of the residents? Yes, uh, something about um, Facebook posts um, that friends of the, of the two individuals uh, had received uh, stating that they had possibly been raped and murdered or, you know, or. A number of officers searched the house's exterior, knocking on doors and peering into the windows to gauge whether or not anyone was home. They were unable to see inside because the windows were blacked out, but there were no signs of forced entry. When they determined the house was empty, the officers entered and began to search it. In the living room, they found Gypsy's wheelchair and other medical devices. There was another wheelchair found in the bathroom. In the master bedroom, they found Dee Dee Blanchard lying on her bed. Next to her bed were bottles of cleaning solution. Forensic death investigator Thomas Vanderberg took a closer look at the crime scene. Did you ultimately observe any injuries? Yes. As we went up to the actual body, there were several defects which appeared from sharp injury um, through the back of the clothing. Um, She was laying face down on the bed. Arms were up with hands kind of underneath her face. And uh, there was blood saturating the back of the nightgown that she was wearing and blood also on the bed. Dee Dee's death was ruled a homicide with the cause of death being multiple stab wounds. Dee Dee had been found but where was Gypsy? The Facebook comment had alluded to Gypsy having possibly been raped. It had been right about what it said happened to Dee Dee. Was it right about Gypsy too? Detectives from the Greene County Sheriff's Office went back to the source, to the Facebook post that had led them there. They traced the post to determine where it had been posted from. The search yielded a location in Big Bend, Wisconsin the residence of a man named Nicholas Godijan. It, it originated on the DJ Blanchard Facebook account, um, but as part of those records that were provided from Facebook for that specific account, it showed recent IP uh, activity for logins, and on the 14th, there was an IP address that had logged in Uh, numerous times on that day. And when I received the records back for that IP address, it was um, Time Warner cable internet connection that was registered to Nicholas Godijan in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin. 26-year-old Nick Godijan lived with his family in their home in Big Bend, a village in Waukesha County, Wisconsin. His parents had divorced when he was just three, but his mother, stepfather, and brother all lived in the home at the time. He had a slight criminal record. In 2013, Nick had been arrested at a McDonald's for allegedly masturbating while watching porn for nine hours. Other than that, however, he hadn't been on the police's radar. But it wasn't long before Nick became the prime suspect in Dee Dee's murder. Upon tracing the IP address, officers were led to the family home in Big Bend. I think document search. Did you have some general information about who was associated with that house? Yes. Who was that? Uh, it should the go to John residence. Um, specifically, we're looking for any evidence related uh, either to Nicholas 
and um, Gypsy Blanchard. Detective Jody Krop from the Waukesha County Sheriff's Office was one of the first officers who went to search the Godijan residence. Once there, he found Gypsy and Nick cuddled up together, hiding in Nick's closet. To their surprise, Gypsy was not injured. She was not being held captive. They, for the first time, find out that Gypsy is there willingly as the defendant's girlfriend. A search warrant executed on Nick's computer revealed that the two had first met each other online three years earlier. Feeling isolated in their bedrooms with few to confide in, Nick and Gypsy had turned to the internet in October 2012. They found each other on an online dating website. Nick said they started communicating on Facebook and quickly formed a committed relationship. Gypsy found refuge in her relationship with Nick, and the two soon expressed their desires to be more than mere internet pen pals. They wanted to live together, experience life together, act as a normal couple. But there was a problem, a big one. Dee Dee was in the picture. Gypsy thought the repercussions for a second dash would be considerably worse than the first time she ran away from home. So Gypsy and Nick constructed a plan. Well, three plans, that is. Plans A, B, and C. Plan A, we already had tried that, which was to meet up at the movie theater, act like we never met before, and try and start a relationship from there um, with my mother's permission. What was the other alternative plan? Um, Another one was for me to get pregnant. I believed that since he would be the father, he would have to be in my life. In March 2015, three months before the murder, Gypsy sent Nick $800 for him to come visit her. She thought if she ran into him at the movie theater and her mom met him, she would let them date. While at the movie theater, Gypsy snuck into the men's room and the two had sex for the first time. But they realized plan A didn't work. Dee Dee strongly disliked Nick, making it incredibly clear upon first meeting him. When Nick walked into the movie theater, Gypsy saw the dashing young man she had fallen in love with online. But Dee Dee saw a strange man in his mid-twenties entering the Disney movie Cinderella alone. Gypsy and Nick's second plan didn't yield much success either. And then when it came to the pregnancy, which I guess would be plan C, um, at some point, the defendant didn't really want to do that plan anymore, correct? He wanted to do it, but his mother wouldn't allow it. And, but, so he basically told you, communicated to you, I can't do plan C. Correct. But a couple weeks before the murder, you kind of still were suggesting to him, hey, could we hold off and try getting pregnant? Do you remember that? Yes. But the defendant never really gave you an answer on that. Do you recall? No, he never gave me an answer on it. He didn't say, sure, let's try that no. so we can keep killing mom as a last resort, nothing like that. Yes. All right. So the two landed on plan B, the last resort. But it wasn't Gypsy and Nick who executed the plan. Not according to Nick, at least. 
he'll tell you that Ruby and Victor were the actual perpetrators. That Ruby and Victor overtook Gypsy and Nick's bodies, respectively. And Carrie... Shall I take your order, or do you need a minute? Yes, I'll be ready. Just buying a car on Carvana. What? It's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. What? That's handy. Yeah. Now I'm customizing my down and monthly payments. What? That's an exquisite deal. And just like that, Carvana's delivering my car in a couple days. What? Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry. I'll have the burrito. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Delivery fees may apply. Get out the murder. Yo, next round is about to start. You ready? Yeah, yeah, just shopping for a car in Carvana. For real? Yeah, Carvana makes it super convenient to shop whenever, wherever. For real? That's a ton of car options. Yep, and these are all within my price range. For really real? You can afford that? Yeah, with Carvana. And boom, just like that, I'm getting it delivered in a couple days. For really, really real? You just bought a car. For real, and you just lost my turn. Visit Carvana.com to shop for thousands of vehicles under $20,000. Nick Godijan was extradited to Missouri and ordered to be held on a $1 million bond. So too was Gypsy. Gypsy's neighbors were relieved to find out she would be returning safely back to Springfield. But Greene County Sheriff Jim Arnott warned that things are not always what they appear. He told the public to, quote, use caution when donating money to this family at this time, as we have unearthed the appearance of a long financial fraud scheme. The neighbors had already set up a GoFundMe to pay for Dee Dee's funeral expenses, but the sheriff urged people not to donate any money until the extent of the fraud was known. Nick was indicted on a charge of first-degree murder. He waived his right to a jury trial, resting his fate in the hands of Judge Calvin Holden. Nick's attorney asked the court to admit into evidence a mental evaluation that psychologist Kent Franks performed on his client. He indicated he might use the evaluation to argue that Nick didn't have the deliberation necessary for a first-degree murder conviction. The prosecution objected to the report, but it was eventually allowed into evidence. In 2017, Nick changed his mind and requested a jury trial. Judge Holden granted the motion for reconsideration and set the jury trial for the following year. On November 8, 2018, Greene County Prosecutor Nathan Chapman delivered the opening statement on behalf of the state. Although it was Gypsy's idea, it was the defendant's deliberation that led to him standing outside of Claudine's bedroom door with gloves on, dressed in black, holding a knife, and thinking, the bitch is dead. And the evidence will show that after that deliberation on June 10th of 2015, he entered that bedroom and stabbed Claudine Blanchard to death. Chapman honed in on this theme of deliberation. He said the murder itself was Gypsy's idea, but that Nick carried it out. And he made clear that this murder was not a spontaneous one. Chapman said Nick thought, considered, and deliberated about whether or not he should kill Dee Dee. He described how Nick stood outside Gypsy's house the night of the murder for a full minute before entering 
how he was handed a knife and gloves before entering, how he spent hours on a bus to Springfield and in a local hotel prior to the murder, how he knew about the murder plot a year before he enacted it, all during which time he deliberated and made the decision to kill, Chapman said. And it didn't end there. Nick didn't just consciously decide to kill Dee Dee, he said. He was anticipating it. He was counting down the days. Yes, this was Gypsy's idea. But the defendant on June 10th was ready to kill. And these texts show he was enjoying it. He was looking forward to it. He was excited about it. Later in this episode, you'll hear about those texts and learn just how deep the relationship between Gypsy and Nick was and whether it continues to this day. The court heard next from defense attorney Andrew Meade, who presented his opening statement. He said Nick was born in the spring of 1989 and that he didn't come into this world like most of us. He was born with his umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. His tiny brain was deprived of oxygen, and his family knew that there were going to be developmental delays. And in fact, when Nick was in elementary school, he was diagnosed with autism. Nick was raised by his mother, a single mother at the time, who went through boyfriends back and forth, Meade said. She worked several jobs to make ends meet, but she didn't give Nick the emotional support he needed. Meade said Nick was autistic and that Gypsy knew this. He said Nick knew Gypsy was in a wheelchair and that they accepted each other's flaws and were in love nonetheless. Meade told the court that Nick soon learned that Gypsy did not need to be in a wheelchair. And that's when he said Gypsy took advantage of Nick and manipulated him so that she could escape. Meade said Gypsy came up with the plans. She chose one and Nick carried it out. He carried it out, he said, but only because of her, because she wanted him to. He said she bought Nick bus tickets to come to Springfield, and that she stole the murder weapon from a Walmart. Meade reminded the jury of Nick's autism diagnosis. He said he has a low IQ score and cognitive disabilities. He asked that Nick not be convicted of murder in the first degree, but murder in the second degree. Meade said he agreed with the prosecution on one crucial fact, that the person who took a knife and stabbed Dee Dee 17 times was, in fact, Nick Godijan. Sherry Messer worked as a cab driver in Springfield, Missouri. She said in the early morning hours of June 10th, 2015, she picked Nick up at a Days Inn hotel at around 2 a.m. I'm very talkative, you know, with my passengers a lot of times, um, especially people I pick up at the airport or pick up at a hotel room. You know, normally I say, you know, what brings you to Spring Patch, you know, you know Springfield. And um, this gentleman, you know, hey, I'm from Wisconsin. You know, he said he was here to meet his girlfriend. Um, you know, that's pretty much, you know, just small talk. And then as 
you were approaching the address at 2103 West Volunteer Way. Do you remember him saying anything else or, or doing anything else? When I got there, he asked me to, to wait just a few seconds. He was on his cell phone. Uh, he was texting his, he said he was texting his girlfriend to, to see where he was supposed to, what door he was supposed to go to. It says something like that. And if it's 157, fair to say it's pretty dark out? Correct. Okay. And when you got to the address, did you park on the street, driveway, or something different? I was on the street. And eventually, did the gentleman get out of the cab? Yes. Did you make any observations about what he did once he got out of your cab? Um, uh, what I saw is he got out of the cab and he went to the right of the home, right rear of the home. And was there anything odd about what you saw that kind of stuck out in your mind? Um, just he didn't go to the front door. He went to the rear of the home. That's the only thing. And, and after refreshing your memory on your law, about what time was it that you dropped him off? Uh, the drop-off time was 2, 2.06 a.m. Another cab driver was then called to the home around 5.45 a.m. John Harmon reported picking up a male and female and driving them to the Days Inn. Prosecutors say Dee was killed in between this time. On cross, the defense attorney asked who it was that actually paid the cab fare. Who paid? I believe it was her, the female. The female, she had the money. Yep. Video surveillance shows Nick and Gypsy together at the Days Inn Hotel the following days, on June 11th and June 12th. Lead investigator, Lieutenant Stan Hancock, said Nick was the one who paid the clerk at the hotel. The two then took a bus to Nick's house on June 12th. But before they left, they mailed an envelope with a knife and gloves to his house. The return address on the package was Gypsy's house. DNA results came back showing that there was a mixture of two people's DNA on the blade of the knife. Nick and Dee Dee could not be eliminated as contributors. Three DNA profiles were located on the back part of the handle of the knife. Nick, Dee Dee, and Gypsy all could not be eliminated. Jurors were shown photos taken inside the home and from Dee Dee's autopsy conducted by Chief Forensic Investigator with the Greene County Medical Examiner's Office, Dr. Thomas Vanderberg. In general, what type of injuries did Ms. Blanchard have? She had both stab wounds and um, incised or cutting wounds. How many stab wounds did she have? She had 17 stab wounds. And... How many incised wounds? Uh, there were two large incised wounds, but they appeared to have been a series of cuts um, to cause those two large wounds. Dr. Vanderberg said Dee Dee was stabbed 17 times. Wounds to her back penetrated her chest cavity, abdominal cavity, and damaged internal structures. Several of the wounds hit her lungs. On cross, Dr. Vanderberg said he could not tell an order and time frame of the stab wounds. He said they appeared to be very close to the time of death and that they all happened within a short period. He estimated she died about 36 hours before she was found. 
After Nick and Gypsy were arrested at his home in Big Bend, Wisconsin, local detectives secured a search warrant for the residence. Inside, they found Greyhound bus tickets from Springfield to Milwaukee, a Days Inn receipt, a luggage tag and room key, Gypsy's social security card, and a tennis shoe with suspected blood on it. A hoodie and a t-shirt with a creepy clowns graphic also had suspected blood on them. In addition, investigators seized a cell phone, computer tower, laptop, a duffel bag, and a baggie with $4,000 in cash. They believed Dee Dee had the cash in her home at the time she was killed. The defense objected to the prosecution admitting the computer tower, but Judge Holden allowed it in. Skype messages, sexual stories that were exchanged between the two, and numerous videos they had recorded were all discovered. Nick's browsing history revealed searches for train tickets, knives, and handcuffing girls to death. Greene County Detective Angela Mahoney traveled to Wisconsin to interview Nick after his arrest. Detective Mahoney said Nick was pleasant when they spoke. He had a blanket and was handcuffed in the interrogation room. She presented him with a consent form. He began to read it aloud and then paused mid-sentence. He was stuck on the word coercion. He said he thinks the word means punishment. Detective Mahoney said that it means trickery. Detective Mahoney began the interview by suggesting that they take turns asking questions. Nick said that's fair. She uncuffed his handcuffs and he explained more about how he met Gypsy. Um, we uh, got closer on there and we uh, connected more and more. And then we uh, got comfortable where we, uh, about like, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, I, we, it's, uh, the way that we flipped is it made it seem like uh, we somehow just knew we were right for each other. So we, uh, like, what was it, like, four days, I would have to say, four days later, we uh, started a relationship together. Nick said they felt so connected after meeting online, they started a relationship four days later. He told Detective Mahoney that Gypsy is his girlfriend and that he loves her. Detective Mahoney told him that if he really loves her, he wouldn't want her in the situation that she's in now. If you love her, if you love Gypsy, then you're not going to let Gypsy get in trouble without you being there to help her, okay? And so what you need to know is that Gypsy told us everything. We didn't talk to Gypsy all this time and not get everything. That's what we do. Detective Mahoney said she knows he's lying about what happened because Gypsy already told her everything. On the stand, Detective Mahoney said that was a lie. But the bluff apparently worked. Did Gypsy know that you were going to kill her mother? Um... Honestly, she asked me to. Okay. So, so Gypsy knew you were going to do it because Gypsy asked you to. Yes. Why did she ask you to do that? Because she thought it was her only man to be with me. Okay. She felt like if, if you killed the mom, then that's the only way she could be with you. Yes. He said that Gypsy asked him over text and on Facebook to kill her mom. He said that when he arrived to her house that night, Gypsy handed him a pair of gloves and a knife. 
Before this night, he said he had never stabbed anyone. He described going into Dee Dee's bedroom and stabbing her four times while she lie on her stomach. He said on the fourth time, he felt it go into her lungs. That time, he had to yank it out. He then cut her across the back of her neck. Did she scream or holler? No, she didn't. What was she saying? Um, first she said help, and then she didn't know, she didn't recognize who I was, and she okay. said, who are you, and then... She said, who are you? Yeah. Okay. And she didn't recognize who you are, she says help, and then what did she say? And then she called up for Gypsy, which is she didn't do anything. Nick said Dee Dee yelled Gypsy's name three times, asking for her to help her. He said that didn't stop him from stabbing her more. He said he may have stabbed her even more times, but knew that four went in deep. Nick said that during this, Gypsy was hiding in the bathroom. In the interview, he showed Detective Mahoney a cut on his hand that he got during the incident. After he finished, he said he and Gypsy cleaned up the blood in the room together. Then they had sex in Gypsy's bed. He said it was consensual, but that he was the one in charge. According to Nick, this wasn't the first time they had sex. He said he took Gypsy's virginity at the movie theater bathroom while she was wearing a Cinderella costume with a blonde wig before the movie began. Nick said Gypsy was wearing a dark brown wig when they had sex at her house after the killing. The thing is, I used to take uh, medication. Okay. I used to hear voices in my head. Okay. And run away, then it somehow is part of myself. Okay. So, does Gypsy know that? Yes. She does know that. Nick said he has a good and an evil side. He said it was his evil side that got on the bus, stabbed Dee Dee, and then cleaned up her blood. But Gypsy has an evil side too, Nick said, and her evil side is named Ruby. She has an evil side of herself as well. She used to call her uh, Ruby. That's what she used to call her. Okay. But um, one of the things he said to her is, I would get between me and Ruby, is what he said. Nick said his evil side said, never get between me and Ruby, as he was stabbing Dee Dee. He said he did think about raping Dee Dee, but ended up not doing anything sexual with her body. On cross, Detective Mahoney said she was unaware of any special protocols for handling people with autism. Now, during the, the Miranda questions, which is at that point just asking if he known he agrees to talk to you and known the ways to right to counsel, he became confused, did he not? Um. I'm not sure. Was he confused about the word coercion? Yes. Okay. He didn't know what it meant, did he? Well, he did. He said it meant punishment. And uh, you told him it meant trickery, did you? I agreed with I agreed with you on the punishment. I just said yeah, um, under the assumption that that was some kind of threats or punishment or. Uh, <laughs> threats against him, but then I did add the trickery. About two and a half years after Dee Dee's death, while awaiting trial, Nick agreed to give a jailhouse interview to a journalist. That interview was recorded by the jail's internal system, and it was played in court. Once that night came, I knew fully well what it was capable of. And at that point, there was no time 
going back because this, from the first time I walked into the house, I knew there was no coming back. There was two thoughts that came on my mind. One was a benevolent thought, and the other one was a malevolent thought. It was almost like having a, a devil on one shoulder and a angel on the other. Nick said he didn't know what he was capable of until that night. It was as though he had a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other. He said he had a thought appear that told him to take her and run. Basically saying take her and run. That was the benevolent thought. Take her and run. As if it was a, a, the kind of feeling that was basically trying to influence on me as if I was somehow going to get away with it if I ran away with her. As if somehow we were able to keep her mom at bay better than she was able to in the past when she ran away. Uh, however, the other thought came on my mind was because uh, it saw as basically because the darker part of me was also in love with the darker part of her. And because of it, uh, the thought was, is, uh, excuse my French, but it basically said, this bitch is dead. Uh, not letting her be between me and her, this bitch is dead. Basically is what it, the thought was. And uh, unfortunately, I ended up listening to my darker side because I wanted to be with her and I remember what she said and I wanted to believe what she was saying and unfortunately I should have listened to my other part of me. Nick said that once he began, there was no going back. And with that, the state rested their case. One year after Dee Dee's murder, Gypsy appeared in court for her case She told the judge she was pleading guilty. She had reached a deal with the prosecution. The prosecutor told the court, when you look at this case, it's a murder, and it's a first-degree murder, but it's also one of the most extraordinary and unusual cases we have seen. Gypsy pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 10 years in prison, the mandatory minimum. As part of the deal, There was no agreement for her to testify against Nick, and the prosecution didn't call her as a witness. But the defense did. Please tell us your name. Gypsy at Park Blanchard. What do you go by? Gypsy. The defense called Gypsy as their first witness. Dressed in a gray sweater, Gypsy entered the courtroom in a leg brace that would lock up if she walked too fast. Her hair was dark and she spoke in a soft voice. She told the court she's 27 years old and was born in Louisiana. She said she and Nick quickly became boyfriend and girlfriend after meeting online. They maintained an online relationship by messaging and sending videos to each other. She said they had to keep the relationship a secret because her mother controlled every aspect of her life and wouldn't allow her to have a boyfriend. She said she confided in Nick that her mother was forcing her to be in a wheelchair about a year into their relationship. She said she didn't understand the full extent of how healthy she was until she was arrested. Gypsy saw pediatric neurologist Dr. Bernardo Flasterstein in 2007 with her mother. He would later tell reporters that he was skeptical about Dee Dee's claim that Gypsy had muscular dystrophy because all of her tests and blood work came back normal. Dr. Flasterstein reached out to Gypsy's previous doctors, who told him that when they would tell Dee Dee that Gypsy was healthy, 
she would stop seeing them. Dr. Flasterstein then wrote in his file that, quote, there is a strong possibility of Munchausen by proxy. According to medical experts, Dee Dee likely suffered from this condition. Munchausen syndrome by proxy is a disorder wherein a caregiver feigns or causes illnesses or injuries to the person they're caring for in an effort to gain attention. Upon discussions of this case in the public discourse, professionals have spoken out connecting symptoms of the disorder with those that Dee Dee displayed. Gypsy told the court that she knew Nick had Asperger's, but didn't understand what that meant. She said she stole money from her mother and mailed him about $800 in cash to come visit her. She said she loved him. We had plans to marry. Any other plans for your future at that point? We plan to have kids, yes. Did you do anything to prepare for having children with Nick? Yes. What'd you do? I stole baby clothes and things for a child. Years prior to that, in 2010, Gypsy was growing increasingly desperate to get out of her home life. She said she began to have thoughts about killing her mother. After meeting Nick, she then talked him into doing it. Whose idea was it to kill your mother? Mine. Why did you want to kill your mother? Because I wanted to be free of her hold on me. About two weeks before the murder, Gypsy said she started having doubts and changed her mind. But two days prior, she and her mom got into an argument. Nick asked Gypsy, was the plan on for him to come do this? Yes or no? Gypsy said yes. She said she had several alter egos that she used when she and Nick would role play with each other, including Ruby, Candy, Kitty, and Demona. She said these alter egos were fantasy. Demona was a half-werewolf, half-human character. Kitty was a childlike girl. Candy was her slutty side. Ruby was her evil side. I made them up because he told me that he had various alter egos. And so I created mine to fit the ones with his. Who came up with your names? I did. And do they each represent a different type of person? Yes. As Gypsy worked to plan her mom's murder, she mailed Nick cash for him to come visit her and stole a knife from Walmart. How did Nick know when to do this crime? The timelines that, that morning? I told him. Who planned this murder? I did. Did Nick do any of the planning in this murder? He may have had one or two. Do you know what plans he provided? He decided what the weapon would be. Gypsy said she didn't think she could commit the murder because blood makes her squeamish. They planned to return to Nick's mother's house in Wisconsin afterwards, but she couldn't take Dee Dee's car because she didn't know how to drive. Nick had purchased a round-trip bus ticket. They left the Blanchard house and tried to purchase a ticket for Gypsy on that bus. It was full, so they had to stay in the hotel another night before they could leave. They arrived at Nick's family's house the following day, and Gypsy said she pictured herself staying there forever. I thought maybe that if people knew that I was gone, they would just think I was missing, and 
missing people go, you know, unfound all the time. So I just thought I'd remain a missing person. Gypsy said she's the one who posted that cryptic post on her mother's Facebook, pretending to be Nick. Why would you make that post claiming to be Nick? I wanted her to be found. I wanted the cops to find her body. Two days after Gypsy arrived at Nick's house, law enforcement arrived. On cross-examination, Gypsy said she decided to come up with her alter egos to please Nick. You also started to kind of consider yourselves as master and slave, correct? Yes, sir. And the defendant was the master. Yes, sir. And you were the slave. Yes, sir. And at one point, he had sent you basically like a bill of sale kind of ownership papers. Do you remember that? Yes, sir. And those papers would basically mean that the defendant owned you. Yes, sir. Gypsy said Nick would send her a script and told her to act it out in videos to send to him. At one point, Nick said he had a rape fantasy. Another time, he said he was an assassin in another life who could protect her. Of the plans, you mentioned that how the murder was to take place, that was all up to the defendant, correct? That is correct. And it was the defendant that told you he wanted to stab your mom. Correct. And it was the defendant that told you he wanted a knife. Yes. And he figured it would be easier for you to get a knife because you could steal it because you would be in the wheelchair, correct? Correct. According to Gypsy, Nick first wanted her to get a machete. She thought that would be too hard to wheel out. She saw a smaller knife took a picture of it, and sent it to him to make sure he approved. He replied that he did. She said he also wanted a tape and a taser to muffle Dee Dee and prevent her from fighting back, but she was unable to get those items. Gypsy sent Nick a message that said, let's move to Milwaukee. We can stay with your mom for a little. Nick said he'd rather be in Waukesha. Gypsy said, Okay, darling, we can look up apartments in Waukesha. In the event they were caught, Nick told her what they would say. On the night before the murder, Gypsy and Nick were texting back and forth. Around 9 p.m., Nick said he expected her to look like his woman should and to wear red fingernail polish. She said she only had pink fingernail polish. He also asked her to wear red lipstick. They settled on pink lip gloss. Nick wrote, so will you, or how do you wish to present yourself? Gypsy didn't respond right away, so he asked her again to answer his question. She replied that she'll be in her nightgown with painted pink nails and lip gloss. Nick told her that she better be naked when he gets her from the bathroom after the deed. While you were in the bathroom, uh, you could hear... Your mom, correct? Yes, sir. And you heard her scream? Yes, sir. And and she screamed your name? Yes, sir. Gypsy took a tissue as she began to cry. She said she was sitting on the bathroom floor with her hands covering her ears. Nick knocked on the bathroom door three times and scratched twice, which was their code that the deed was done. Afterwards, 
Gypsy said Nick wanted her to clean up the blood while she was naked because that turned him on. When the defendant agreed to kill your mom, at some point he told you that he also wanted to rape her. Yes, sir. You did not want the defendant to rape your mom, correct? Yes. And in fact, in leaving the decision of how to kill her up to the defendant, you never told him to stab her 17 separate times, right? No. And you certainly didn't tell him to cut her neck down to the bone, right? No. Gypsy became visibly upset on the stand. She said she talked Nick out of raping her mother by offering herself as an alternative. The defense then questioned her on redirect. Did Nick ever rape you? No. And when you guys had sex after your mother's murder, uh, was that consensual? It started out as consensual, yes. What do you mean it started out as consensual? I told him to stop sharing sex, and he did not. Law and Crime executive producer Kathy Rusan was in the courtroom for Gypsy's testimony and described how the jury reacted to her. So there were two female jurors on the front row um, closest to Gypsy. Um, after a little while, the second one did look at her. And so, but the interesting thing, I don't think, I have no idea how to read into this or if there's anything to it at all. But the one that sits closest to Gypsy on the front row didn't look at her once. And I, I watched her a lot because it was easy to watch her because she was close to Gypsy. And at least I never saw her look at her. And, and she just kind of looked, she just kind of looked like this and then just kind of down, like away from her and down. Um, so, that, you know, that was interesting. I don't know. It could be her personality. It could be she was uncomfortable because she was right there next to her. But it was interesting because Gypsy was on the stand for a while and she never looked at her. Kathy also reported on whether Gypsy and Nick ever looked at each other during the testimony. So now there's been some chatter about whether or not Gypsy has been giving any looks at the defendant. So describe that for us. Did you observe any of those looks? Okay, I, I've seen a lot on social media talking about this. One, go to John never looked at her. And people are saying he was staring her down. Never saw that. And the camera can't really even show the front of his face anyway. But I was at an angle that I could see um, him at an angle. And I never once saw him look at her. When he did look that way, it was when we had, they had the messages on the screen. Um, for her, she glanced awkwardly kind of in that direction a couple times. Um, and then never again after that. So I didn't see any stare downs between the two of them. The defense called forensic psychologist Dr. Kent Franks. Dr. Frank said that he evaluated Nick twice at the county jail for a total of 11 hours. He determined that Nick has an IQ of 82, which he said is low average. He said that Nick struggles with memory and processing speed and diagnosed him with autism spectrum disorder. Dr. Franks also interviewed Nick's dad to learn about his upbringing and family history. His father said Nick's mother may have drank and used drugs while she was pregnant. The umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck during childbirth, and the doctors said at the time that his brain may have been deprived of oxygen. He was diagnosed with autism in the second grade and was in special needs classes. 
That diagnosis was changed to Asperger's when he was 13 years old, and he later successfully graduated high school. He worked at a pizza parlor holding a sign outside for about 13 months before meeting Gypsy. When you came, you met with him twice. Uh, was there anything notable about his appearance when you met with him in, in your interviews? Uh, his grooming and hygiene has always been poor. That's something that was apparent in the school records. It's never, he's never, he's always needed reminders to shower, brush his hair, and brush his teeth. And that was evident when I saw him. Um, he has a tendency to let his beard grow out in an untrimmed manner, sometimes let his hair grow out in an untrimmed manner. So I was, I, there were deficits in his grooming and hygiene consistent with his history. Why is that important to you as a psychologist? It shows a lack of self-care, a lack of self-management. I think it's characteristic of his disorder. Dr. Frank said Nick cut his hair and gained a little weight in between his first and second interview, but his lack of hygiene was still evident. He said Nick was sad but has flat emotions and doesn't show them a lot. He could tell Nick was under a lot of stress during his police interview because he would talk to himself and not make eye contact with the detective, a characteristic of his disorder. His ability to perceive reality is tenuous. He had a psychotic episode when he was 13 years old and hallucinated and talked about hearing seven or eight different kinds of voices. His mother in the Social Security records talked about impaired reality testing, that he had difficulty perceiving reality accurately. On the Rorschach test, you look at pictures that resemble things like a bat. And if you look at a bat and you see something else, that is impaired perception. And there was a significant amount of that, suggesting that his perception of the world around him is often inaccurate. According to Dr. Franks, Nick ranks at level two on the autism spectrum disorder, with deficiencies in showing empathy, forming relationships, understanding nonverbal cues, understanding emotions, inability to venture outside his house, and requiring substantial assistance with accompanying intellectual impairments. Dr. Frank said Nick requires sustaining support, or he could pose a danger to himself or others. For their rebuttal case, the state called clinical psychologist Dr. Robert Denny, Dr. Denny met with Nick over three days in 2017. He described him as reserved and quiet, but pleasant. He also reviewed interviews and evidence in the case. Dr. Denny said Nick had reasonable reactions during his police interview, looking down and looking up at the appropriate times. He said Nick also acted reasonably well while seen on the surveillance video at the bus station, When he was told there weren't enough seats on the bus he originally wanted to take to return to Wisconsin, he scored him with a statistically significantly lower IQ of 77. Did you find the defendant to be intellectually impaired? I did not. Why not? All of his scores, uh, even his historical IQ scores, uh, some of them are low, yes. But even going back to his childhood scores in the record, none of them fell in the range of intellectual disability. The fact is, the objective data does not support intellectual impairment. Mr. Bodejan does not have intellectual disability. 
Dr. Denny diagnosed Nick with autism spectrum disorder, level one, which is less severe than level two. He also diagnosed him with a learning disability for reading and math. The state rested and the court proceeded to closing arguments. Prosecutor Nathan Chapman said Gypsy is absolutely part of the facts of the case while deliberating first-degree murder, but she's not part of their legal determination of Nick's guilt. He provided the jury with the instruction for first-degree murder and said the state has proven that Nick caused the death of Dee Dee Blanchard. He knew his conduct would cause her death and that he did so after deliberation. Chapman said Nick's mild form of autism changes nothing about that. Was Gypsy mistreated? Absolutely. Is the defendant some knight that's coming in to save her? Let's be real. You heard his interview. How many times did you hear the defendant mention, oh, I was rescuing her, I was saving her, I was freeing her? I can tell you, zero. In the text messages leading up, how many times did you see him make any reference to, I'm coming to get you, just hang in there, right? You're going to be free soon. I can do this. How many times did you see it? Zero. Instead, you see, I expect you to be wearing something specific, red lipstick when I get there. And when I come get you from the bathroom after I murder your mom, you better be naked. The defendant had his very clear own reasons for doing this. So to make this seem like he came in here to save her is completely contrary to everything else you saw. Chapman said there's no question that Dee Dee mistreated Gypsy and that she deserved to be held accountable for that. But she deserved to be held accountable in a courtroom by a jury. All the same rights the defendant has during this trial The defendant doesn't get to hold court himself in the bedroom when he stabbed Dee Dee 17 times in the back, he said. The defense said Nick is not guilty of murder simply because he does not have the ability to deliberate. Attorney Dwayne Perry said his client is mentally incapable of thinking ahead and of planning a murder. Let's get one thing straight. Who wanted Claudine Blanchard dead? Who? Gypsy did. Gypsy wanted Claudine Blanchard dead. And but for that simple fact, we're not here, are we? Perry said Gypsy's focus was getting out of her home, but Nick's focus was Gypsy. Gypsy was determined to kill her mom, but she couldn't because A, she's tiny, and B, she psychologically couldn't do it. So she manipulated him to do it instead, Perry said. She wanted to be a normal person, but she couldn't with her mom alive. And have some compassion for everybody in this case. Dee Dee deserves compassion. She really does. I mean, I know she did a lot of horrible stuff. And I agree with the prosecutor. She should have been prosecuted rather than murdered. Gypsy deserves a lot of compassion, obviously, given what she went through. Had a little bit for Nick as well. I'm not asking you not to spread it out. I'm just asking to have a little bit for Nick, too. Consider his situation. It's not as simple as the prosecutor said. Consider his situation. And I'm talking about his entire situation. 
He was only trying to help the woman he loved. He didn't do it the right way. We all agree with that. But he was only trying to help the woman he loved. Perry said there's reasonable doubt as to Nick's capacity to deliberate first-degree murder and believes the appropriate verdict is one of the lesser-included homicide charges. Prosecutor Dan Patterson rebutted the defense, saying Nick's statements and actions showed that he deliberated. He wanted to be with her. That's why he killed Claudine Blanchard. He wanted a sex slave. Remember their whole gypsy talked about it? You can see it in the text. Daddy, master, daddy's girl. You heard her talk about that relationship. I had her do the humiliating things in a script for him. He would not be the first man who did awful and stupid things to have sex with a woman. That's why he committed this crime, was to have Gypsy Blanchard for himself. The jury was sent out to deliberate. After about two hours, they had reached their verdict. As to count one, we, the jury, find the defendant, Nicholas Godijan, guilty of murder in the first degree, as submitted in instruction number six. We assess and declare the punishment for murder in the first degree at imprisonment for life without the possibility of probation or parole. As to count two, we, the jury, find the defendant, Nicholas Godijan, guilty of armed criminal action as submitted in instruction number 10. Nick Godijan was found guilty of first-degree murder and armed criminal action. The first-degree murder charge carried an automatic life in prison sentence. He asked the judge for leniency on the second charge. When this whole thing happened, all I ever wanted was to be with Ms. Blanchard. I've never known what it was like to have a motherly love. I've never known what it was like to have a female connection. Love is blind. Well, I'll admit it, I was blindly in love, he said. The judge sentenced Nick to 25 years for armed criminal action to be served concurrently. Gypsy is now serving her sentence in Missouri's Chillicothe Correctional Center. She'll be eligible for parole in 2024. Gypsy and Nick have since split up. Gypsy's family announced her engagement to a pen pal-turned-boyfriend last year. They called off the engagement at one point and then said it's back on, but reportedly won't be getting married anytime soon. And that's all for this episode. As always, I'd love to know what you think about this case. First, I know this case has been covered a lot. It was very high profile. But did you learn things in this episode that you didn't know before? What are your thoughts on Gypsy's role in the murder? And do you agree with the way everything turned out? Let me know by joining the conversation on Instagram at Court Junkie, by tweeting me at Court Junkie Pod, or by emailing me at podcast at courtjunkie.com. This episode was researched and written by Jennifer Tintner and Dylan Andres from the Law and Crime Trial Network. Follow Jennifer on Twitter at Jennifer Tintner And you can follow Dylan on Instagram at Dylan Andres. Just a quick note about next week. I'll be taking a week off. And so next week's episode will be a replay of an earlier episode, but with a huge update at the end. 
I'll be back with a brand new episode the following week. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.